Hi, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here to talk to you about invested. Mindful money. Rule one. Conscious investing. Ah, numbers. Numbers for people who hate numbers. We're deep into the numbers. We're deep into the numbers. I have to say, I looked back at my notes and I thought that we had talked about five numbers, but we talked about four numbers. So you were correct. We're doing the four growth rates. Yes. Which are... Four of six or seven numbers that I really focus on. And you're going to get different, you know, different numbers of numbers that people focus on. The main thing to understand about the numbers is that you have a huge pile of them when you look at financial statements. And you don't have to begin by understanding all of them. You can just, like we were using a metaphor last time about, you know, going into a foreign language. And you just need a couple of phrases to, you can move around the country pretty well. And that's the phrases we're going to give you right now. And it turns out that the best investors in the world are going to focus on, you know, some view of this, some view of this. And that is some that- Some view of what? Of the, of the major numbers, the most important ones being related to figuring out what the cash is going to be like coming in on this company in the future. That's really what this is all about. Okay. What's, what's, because if we're going to figure out ultimately for two things, is this a wonderful business? And Charlie's explained to us what that's all about. And second, is it on sale? And Charlie said, we can't pay an infinite amount of money for it. So Mm -hmm. it's got to, you know, we need a margin of safety of some sort. Mm -hmm. So what a business is in terms of wonderful is, is spotted a, substantially in these numbers and whether it's on sale is spotted substantially in these numbers as well so these are really key numbers to to focus on and so you're gonna have to remember okay these four growth numbers are what i need to see and the reason there's four of them is because there are heinous bastards out there who are running these businesses some of them (laughs) who have accounting teams whose job it is is to fool you by manipulating one or more of these numbers. Are you saying they could not manipulate four numbers? I am implying that the only way to manipulate all four of them is to lie. And that is jail time. Mm -hmm. So what these guys do is try to color inside the lines, barely, and use clever accounting, legal accounting, to obfuscate and fog up the mirror that make it more difficult to know what the company's doing. So one of the things you learn as we go along is that if you can't figure it out pretty easily, then move on. You, you don't have to figure out they're lying to you and trying to fog the mirror. All you have to know is, I don't understand what these guys are doing. Yeah, that's interesting because our next uh, topic that we're moving on to in our four topics when we analyze a company is management. That's the last one, right? Yep. So if we're worried about management obfuscating and lying to us with the numbers, maybe we should look at management ahead of the numbers? Mm, well, I mean, I'm, I'm very tempted to say, oh, there's this path you have to walk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really like the, uh, the idea of you just go downstream. Well, I, I was over at Rancho La Puerta which is this, I'll plug them. They are spectacular. I'm only plugging them 70 years late. Everybody knows they're spectacular, (laughs) except me. But I just went. It's a spa, right? It's a spa just on the other side of the border in Mexico. He needed a break from his stressful life, everybody. (laughs) 
don't we all have so much sympathy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a whole bunch of friends I try to get together with twice a year, and, and somebody decided Rancho La Puerta was going to be it this year, and they didn't sell it. Like, they didn't you know, sell it? What no. I mean, usually they're like, oh, you got to go to this place we're going to in Croatia, oh, oh, which oh. is so oh, unbelievable. You can't miss it. But this one, they totally like, yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's easy to get to. It's a spa, you know. <laughs> I had no idea how kind of revolutionary Rancho La Puerta is. It's extraordinary. 70 years ago, it was full-on revolutionary. They were absolute health nuts who thought, you know, you had to have food that didn't get sprayed with fertilizer and, and pesticide and whatever. And they wanted just really good natural organic food. And that was insane, you know, 70 years ago. Yeah, was nobody crazy. was doing that 70 years ago. Uh-huh. That was crazy. Lately. Which is amazing to somebody my age in my, you know, low 30s. Thank you. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a second, am I going to tell my age? Um, yeah, so I'm 33. And there's, um, there's like, to me, it's completely normal to have Whole Foods, speaking of Whole Foods, on, you know, most corners in most cities. And um, and it's so a part of our nomenclature and our conversation of, like, where did you buy your food and where did it come from? And is it local or is it not local? And what's your ethical stance on where that food came from? You know, it's just something we all talk about. 70 years ago, nobody talked about that stuff. And for all the rest of you who don't talk about that stuff at all, oh, Danielle do other lives people in, not talk about that? Danielle lives in <laughs> Boulder. Boulder, yeah. <laughs> and right now we're recording this in San Diego, and yeah, I was at Rancho La Puerta. And you can start to think that, my God, the whole world is so interested in health and food. And then you get to Georgia and find out you have to drive an hour and a half to get from our house to Whole Foods. Well, I think we talked about that in our first we did. episode about Whole Foods, that you had was. a really bad experience, yeah, actually. Yeah, they had the same inventory as Publix. Yeah, which is crazy. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, in terms of their fresh stuff. Yeah. You know, their can't, their, all their packaged goods were, of course, all, yeah. all super organic stuff and all that. And their meat department was better. Although, gosh, man, I paid like 23 or $4 a pound for some natural, you know, walked around on a halter and loved on beef someplace. And well, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the wazoo beef either. It wasn't that Kobe stuff where what's, they, what's you know, the they wagyu? love on them and massage the, the, yeah. the, the cow. Yeah. And then they feed them like beer mash and just they just are fat little happy pig, pig cows, I guess. No, these cows are just natural grass fed wandering the range cattle okay 23 bucks a pound uh-huh. for a steak uh-huh. like horrible like you know like it was like what? a four dollar a pound round roast type steak it was terrible it was like really did you cook it poorly i must have or something but it would it was just didn't cut it i was like holy smokes i was looking for something better you know hmm. so i'm back to you know shooting small animals i put it in my own freezer. That sounds gross. Yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you went to the spa. What was your point with the spa? Well, my point with the spa was just to, you know, plug them because oh. I think they're fantastic. Okay. And and uh, and their management team is dedicated. When we get around to management, um, I may come back to Deborah Shizeki or however you say her last name, um, who inspired her staff and continues to do so. She gave us a little talk. She's 93. Hmm. She was awesome. 
and uh, and I'm not just being nice. I'm I'm saying she was actually incredibly awesome, and is probably going to change the world some more, you know, before she checks out. So, the thing that it would astonished me was that they have employees whose families have been working there at at Rancho La Puerta for seventy five years. Whoa! I mean, who does that? Like, so from the beginning. From the beginning, somebody's, multiple families. Somebody's grandfather worked forty years there, and then the, then his kids worked thirty, forty years, and now their kid is there. That's just third incredible. generation. Yeah, and it's about it's about the the quality of the people. It's about the quality of the work. It's about management taking care of its people. It's about we're going to talk about. It's all about that. feeling that you're doing something important. It is about that. And it's about being able to have your dreams come true in yeah. the context, yeah. you know, through your job or in the context of your job. I mean, I'm serious. It Something never... I hope we talk about more as we, you know, every now and then we talk about like sort of voting with your dollars with your investments. And um, I think how a company is run is incredibly important. So do I. Almost more so, and I'm not even sure I agree with myself on that, but maybe more so than the product they make or the the service they provide actually in the world is how they treat their people. I agree. I, and I agree from a point of view of an investor who wants to be inspired by people and, yeah. and to have a connection emotionally with what I'm world. doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's just about making the money, right? I mean, that's where Wall Street gets such a bad rap is they're just such sort of, they don't mean to be evil, but they do evil things, right? I mean, they just invest in things that are bad for the world. And they... They don't think about it. It's just, you know, how do I make more money on this? And okay, fair enough. But I think people like John Mackey and Deborah are bringing an ethic to the world, or bringing it back, that says, you you know, like the Google guys, you can't be evil. I love that. <laughs> it's know, don't be evil, don't Google, be evil. at Google. And Not you can't be, because yeah, sometimes they, they do. Definitely they definitely can be. Um, I think the jury's out on that one right now. Well, it's, it's so Google. interesting because you get into moral conundrums. You get to be in a rock yeah. and a hard place. I mean, look at Google in China, right? Where they were, they were criticized terribly for cooperating with the Chinese government about you know self, you know regulation kind of and not allowing mm-hmm. certain things on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then they decide no, we're we're violating our basic ethic here. And they pulled out of China and they've given it over to another company, which is now huge and just went public. You know, it's kind of like whoa, gee, I guess all these investors didn't give a damn about what they put their money into. You know, we thought we were being good and would be received well by American investors. Instead, a bunch of investors just want to put their money in this other thing. Hmm. So part of what we're doing here on this blog, I hope... Podcast. I mean, podcast. <laughs> yeah, is to... Is to and I think inspire people to think seriously about voting their values. Yeah. I mean, I really... Yeah want to see all of us do that well and for me constantly trying to find a sort of a, a way into this stuff that makes it interesting and that keeps me attached to it i think you got something there yeah right like if it's just something i have to do and i have to like look at these numbers that we've been talking about <laughs> and i have to read the news and stuff fine whatever i can do it for a little while but i'll probably stop doing it after a year or something Right? Like, I can make myself do something for a while. Yeah. And after a while, you can't make yourself keep doing that thing yeah. if it's really that painful. Yeah. But if there's a broader goal, if there's something that you're really gaining outside of that particular small pain, then it becomes worth it and it, it becomes larger 
I mean, it's like working out, right? Like I keep thinking about this, like working out. Mm -hmm. Yes, right now, I don't feel like working out at all. But I know that if I do it today and tomorrow and the next day, in three months, I can run a faster mile or I can, you know, do a different pose in yoga or something. Like there's a larger goal and that's going to make me feel better. Yep. And I think it's the same kind of thing here. So it's it's a practice. Yeah, I mean, think of what they do at Rancho La Parta. Everything is natural. Everything is organic. Everything is cooked, grown there and cooked with a great amount of care. And the food is simply off the chart. Phenomenal. I just don't think I've ever eaten better food in my life. And it makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. The portions are the right. Every, everything is so spectacular. And this is all driven by, you know, this intense value set that they've got to live healthy lives. And, and um, John Mackey puts it like this for Whole Foods. You know, uh, whole people, no, whole food, whole people, whole earth. So they see that as their mission statement, right? And the whole company mm -hmm. operates on that basis. And look at the fanatical employees they've got at Whole Foods Markets. I mean, my gosh, these guys know everything about their area, you know, and they can tell you all about it. And you go to Publix and, you know, they're just, they're there for a job. They're not inspired. And we want to be inspired as employees, as we founders. We want to be inspired as, as people. As people. Right? And as investors. Why else? I mean, you get out of bed because you have to, right? But hopefully you get out of bed because there's something cool to do that day. Yeah, you put your feet on the floor and you think, wow, man, you know, maybe I'm going to find a really great company to support today yeah. that's on sale, that needs somebody to step in and start buying that stock or it'll go to zero. You know, so you you, you have and a if role. I do that, then maybe I make a little money and I get to create a micro so there's like the macro happiness inspiration and then there's the micro happiness inspiration of like what do I actually want in my own personal life what can I do for my family if I if I can retire three years earlier or we, we should podcast about that we I think are that should be a whole thing that's what we're doing <laughs> dad <laughs> we, we have a podcast we're recording it right now and in fact our the title has a kind of kind of um, quality to it. Well, there's a, there's a number of meanings of that title, right? When you think about invested, that's, you know, mm -hmm. putting money in this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's invested, which is you're committed to something. Mm -hmm. Being personally invested. And then we very cleverly put a capital E-D at the end, which is short for education. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we waited until... I have, to, I have to, to give. I have it. to give credit to my wonderful friend Sarah Bartholo, who has her own podcast about food. You guys should look it up. Um, What's who, it called? Oh, Sarah I was hoping you would not ask me that because okay, I don't sorry. remember. All right, we'll find that out. We'll be in the show notes. Yeah, um, it has a cool name. It's they like look at some uh, food saying every week and then talk about foods that come out of that saying and like how that saying came about um and she's got all these famous people on it. it's pretty cool fantastic um maybe i will look it up right now okay go, while go we talk because i'm so sorry sarah because i'm gonna plug name. i'm gonna plug future podcasts because we are gonna have famous people i know we are i know we're, in fact I'm we're gonna, gonna have non-famous people too which yeah, we is are. cool well starting with us for example <laughs> <laughs> but i think we're gonna Gonna um, both fly out here and go up to Ojai. You know, there's a, the valley up by oh, we are? where your uncle this is, lives. This is news to me. Yeah, and we're gonna go visit with some people up there who are friends of mine who have done magic things in the world and continue to do it. And we're gonna get their view of investing as well. 
So um, that'll be fun. But for right now, let's just put a kind of an underline on this bit right here that we really want to spend some time talking about values. Okay, but Sarah Bartholo's podcast is called And Eat It Too. And you can find it on iTunes. I like that, Andy did too. It's really cute. Yeah, and she's awesome. So, um, And she writes an amazing blog called Little House Pantry, and you guys should all look it up. So she's the one who designed our um, our logo thingy-dingy that goes on iTunes. Uh, huge. And I, did the ed at the end. I'm going to send her a link to our podcast as a thank you. We're going to give her a free oh, I'm, podcast. I'm sure she'll really appreciate that. <laughs> and when we get a chance, I really do want to thank her. I, I think it's just a cool name. I like podcasting under the banner of invested. I think it's way yeah, cool yeah. because I see it as invested is a sense of values. It's both, it both uh, is the value to do investing and to be committed and to fully go into the pool and, um, and, and really be present with it. Like you talked about once um, as a practice, mm-hmm. um, that's part of it. And then to think about it in terms of values, invested in the future of, of our country, the future of our communities, the future of our world, the future of our children, all of those things are so massively impacted by where we put our money. And we, we do think about it when we go and buy things often, um, but we don't think about it when it comes to putting our money into the world of investing. We just think, I'm just going to give it to a mutual fund manager and he'll put it in things and diversify me. And you don't realize that you've got your money in things that are horrible and you're investing with, you're, you're helping heinous bastards run run their business, you know? And I mean, not that people are bad, but you know, just they, they don't care or they don't think or they're driven by goals of, I want $20 million a year and I don't care if I have to fire a bunch of employees. So it's just, you know, you've got to bring your values to the game. We're going to talk about that a lot, actually, as we grow, maybe more and more as we go. But for right now, we got to come back to the numbers. Or we're never going to get past. We're never going to get through. Can these you numbers. sense that we're avoiding the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> if we're avoiding the numbers, Dad, Think everyone's about, avoiding. Everybody's the avoiding the numbers except those rare and lovely people who just love the numbers and who, like the guys on the Matrix in the ship, were looking at the screen and all they see is you know you and I see dropping lines of numbers and letters. Okay. But they see the girl in the red dress. I have not seen that movie since it came out. Oh, well, there you you can look at the numbers and start to see what they mean without seeing the number anymore. You just see what they mean. That's way it's, down Would the you road. say it's a language? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Dude, awesome. <laughs> So oh I think we got to go back to it a little bit. We're, We're still so, stalling. So nerdy right now. All right. Where are we at? We are, we at are on EPS. The third number. No, we did. We did EPS. Okay, EPS so is earnings per share. And EPS is bottom line. But we didn't explain why I said it's fictional. Remember, I said it's fictional. I do profit. not remember that. So I wasn't okay. sure you picked up on that. I didn't. Yeah, I said it's a fictional because public companies have a special kind of accounting. Um, called accrual accounting, and they go by a set of accounting principles um, that are called generally accepted accounting principles, GAAP, and those two things are important to know that, that that's what you're reading, and they present a view of the world, which is true from that view. It's a little bit like you put on green colored glasses and you see green things, and then you can take off the green glasses, put on red glasses, and you see red things. So, Accrual accounting is looking through um, the numbers 
in a way that paints a picture of the health of the company or the sick, the disease of the company that we understand when we learn how to read this stuff, okay? Okay. But you need to know that accrual accounting is not reality. It's sort of a mathematical fiction in order to present a picture at a given time. Right. The picture is a good picture. We wouldn't use accrual accounting. But it's not the same picture as the balance sheet, mm-hmm. which is reality. These, well, it tries to be. It should be, right? These are what the assets are worth today. These are what we owe everybody. And the bottom line is what we come out with, the equity of the company. But EPS is very interesting. Earnings per share sounds like net profit. Net profit, earnings per share, those kind of things. I shouldn't say sounds like net profit. It sounds like that's what should be in the bank. It does. But it isn't. Got it. It isn't in the bank. It's a fiction of how your business stands um, over this kind of time period of one quarter or one year or whatever. And it's kind of the flow of sales and costs of those sales. It's the flow of that money, but it's not really the flow of the cash. Hmm. So, for example, if I run my business on accrual accounting, what the rules say is that if I sell you something, I sell you my widget, you owe me the money, but you don't have to have paid me for me to actually book it as a sale. So it looks like I made that money. I made that $100. I haven't gotten paid the 100 mm-hmm. for lots of reasons. Maybe the credit card bill hasn't come through to me yet through the merchant accounts. Maybe I'm going to let you pay me over time and I will lend you money or some variation like that, right? So in accrual accounting, there's this there's this idea of accounts receivable, which is money that's owed in, right? Which is actually on your balance sheet. Mm-hmm. That's also not in your income statement. Accounts receivable is an asset. What's on the income statement? It doesn't say anything about you didn't get paid. It just says you had the sales. Just says it. And then you take out all the money you you had as an expense. Notice I didn't say paid. You has it. You have to book it as an expense. So there might be people you have to pay yet, and we're going to put it on here as if you did, but you didn't. You owe it, and those are account are called accounts payable, and those are also hanging out over on the balance sheet as a liability. You mm-hmm. owe the money, mm-hmm. but that's not in there. It doesn't say you didn't pay it. It says it looks like you paid it. So accrual accounting has its value. It has its value, and you end up with this notion of earnings per share or net profit. But the reason I said it's fictional is because your earnings per share or net profit aren't what's in your bank account. And companies actually get into financial difficulty who are profitable because they, they, they can't get their hands on the cash. The cash didn't come through fast enough to match the bills which are going through faster. And as a result, they're doing really well. In one sense, the, the, the income and profit and loss statement look really good, but they, don't, they ran out of money. They ran out of cash. So for that reason, there is a third thing. Okay, I was about to say, what do we do about that? Well, wait, I, actually, I want to dial it back. Okay. Because while we're on the income statement, um, we should talk about sales, which is the third thing, sales per share. 
is our third growth rate we want to watch. So I had operating cash per share. We're going to come to that last. That's going to be last. Yeah, it's going to be last. I want to. I want to do. We'll just stay on the income statement for a second. Remember, we talked about top line and bottom line. Bottom line is net profit or, or earnings per share. Top line is sales or revenue, whichever one they put on there, and that means what you sold. What you sold. You may not have collected for it yet, but you sold it and. Everybody's excited about having you know a company that's selling stuff, and so the top line is important um, because you want to see that there's ways to manipulate the bottom line and, and and look like you're growing your company because your earnings are growing, but all you're doing is firing everybody and 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 you're really kind of just squeezing, 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 and the earnings are growing, growing, but the the sales aren't going anywhere. Hmm. Like right now, IBM, as we speak has their revenue stream basically flat. It's not growing at all. It's, it, in fact, it's been going down quarter after quarter after quarter for a couple of years. And yet its earnings are going up, 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 up every year. So you look at this and you go, wait a second, how is it? It, it would red flag, right? That would be a red flag. So when we say yeah. that we've got four numbers we're looking at, what we really want on these four numbers is they're all moving the same direction at about the same same speed. And that's why we're looking not at the individual number itself, but at the growth rate of that number. Because we want to see the speed that it's moving at, okay? And then ultimately we'll come back and figure out what the number is so we can figure out what the value is. But in terms of looking at the business, is this a wonderful business? We want to see that the growth rate of all four of these numbers is moving at about the same speed over a long period of time. So having so having them all be moving in a positive direction, but one is moving far faster or has a higher growth rate than the other three, that would be a red flag to you? Yeah. Okay. Or one's going down like a brick. Because they really should be tracking like each other, it sounds like. They should be tracking like each other. As like kind of four sides of a square or something like that. Yeah. Like all, all pointing in the same direction. Well, since it's so important. Inwardly or outwardly. <laughs> I'm going to give you another picture. I don't know picture. what's happening to this there's company. A, there's a picture on rule1investing.com. On the left side of the page, there's a column of menu items, and one of them says chart view. Okay? And all it is is a chart of those four growth rates. Okay. And what it does is paints a picture for you, but it's not a square. It's a bunch of lines moving, and you can see, are they parallel? You can see it right away. Or is one of them all over the map, or are they all all over the map? You should see General Motors. When I was writing about it for rule number one, the, the, that chart was all over the map. It was looked like somebody scrawled on it because hmm. all four of those numbers were going every which way. Yeah, that's better than my square picture. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So when you see chaos on those numbers in the picture, you see the chaos. Really what that says is look out the back window of the car. You're going to see a very, very bumpy, windy road. I mean, it's a mess back there. Mm -hmm. Why would you expect it to straighten out into a freeway mm -hmm. in front of you? If you if you got all that going on back there, man, you better really know this business because it looks pretty nasty to me. I don't have to know a lot about it to just go, eh, too hard, move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So sales, what is this? Sales per share? Yeah, we turn it into per share so we can see it through the same lens. Um, sales isn't usually like put in a per share basis. sales rate per share? No, just sales per just share. Sales. And then we look at the growth rate. So we say, of okay, course. what's the growth rate of the sales per share? What's the growth rate of earnings per share? What's the growth rate of book value per share? And then we'll go on to what's the growth rate of operating cash per share. 
So they're all looked at the same, you know, apples to apples. Okay. And what we want to see is they're all going up together, right? In fact, I'll give you a number. We're looking to see that they're all going up together at at least 10% a year average. Is that a difficult number to reach? Do a lot of companies have that? It's a difficult enough number to hold on to for a long time. Okay. And the reason you think about it is because what that means is, first off, these guys are, you know, we're going to look and see if they're profitable, right? And then the pro- by having earnings, you're profitable. And now your earnings per share are growing. So now your profits are growing. So what this means is it means something really important. Remember Charlie was talking about how the second thing he needed to have, the first thing was he has to be capable of understanding the business. Because if you're not, you can't get to the second thing. But the second thing is that this business has intrinsic characteristics that protect it from competition for a long, long time. And it's a durable, intrinsic characteristic. Some, and and we call that some kind of moat. Yeah. The water around the castle. Yeah. All right. These numbers point to a moat. If you've got 10% growth and it's parallel across these four numbers, this is why we call them the big four. If you've got parallelity there, there, when you look at a picture of it, all the lines are moving together. You go back 10, 11 years and they're all this far apart and you come up 10 or 11 years, they're all that same distance apart. They're parallel. They can move around a little in year to year, but parallel in general. And if you've got that and you're over 10%, you got something. There's, there's some kind of niche company there. There's some kind of moat. There's some intrinsic characteristics that's helping protect that company from competition for a long time. Because in 10 years, or well, let's say in five, the rest of the world's going to figure out, wow, you guys are making money. Mm-hmm. I need to do that too. Mm-hmm. I need to come make money. So I'm going to find out what are you doing. I'm going to copy it. And I'm going to try to knock you off. I'm going to try to take part of your market share. And when I do that, if you have to lower your prices, then those lines are going to start wobbling around. So General Motors, all those wobbly lines, were General Motors not being able to figure out how to deal with really good competitors that had come into its invulnerable durable, intrinsic characteristics that protected it from competition for 40 years or 50 years. And then all of a sudden, that that roof fell in on them. They stopped being good enough to hold on to their brand. And Toyota came in and started handing them their butt. And you could see that in the numbers. Oh, my gosh. You could totally see it in the numbers. One of the scariest things to me, Danielle, is to know that there are people out there who don't know about this. And they're... I, I remember I took... You remember Stephen... Uh, Koch, mm-hmm. great mountain climber, phenomenal guy, and really a sweetheart. And he had invited this friend of his who was living in an assisted living home, who was 82, to come to Saxon's birthday party. And so he asked me if I'd go over and pick her up. So I never met her or anything, and I was just driving her a few miles into, into Jackson and to a birthday. And we started talking, and she was widowed, and her husband had left her money. She learned that I was an investor, and she said, well, I have, I have General Motors. That's what she said? Yeah. When was this? This was about the time my book came out. Oh, gosh. I know. So I'm thinking, oh, baby, oh, man. 
what do you do? You know, she's 82. Her husband right. said, keep it. And you just met her. I just met <laughs> you her. You can't be the jerk who's like, I oh, you've done everything wrong. I can't do that. And her husband is like, her husband took care of her whole life. And here she is, 82, and knows what lots of us know at 82, which is nothing about investing. Mm-hmm. She just took his word for it. And at the time, he was right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But time changes. And this company got led by bad people. Uh, not bad people. By Okay, by bad people. And... <laughs> I'm going to be rough on them, okay, because they put themselves ahead of the thing. Yeah. You know, and and so, and they put themselves ahead of the people who owned it, which included this 82-year-old woman. And what GM did that was just heinous behavior is that they borrowed money because their numbers were all over the map and they weren't really making any money. They borrowed money to pay their dividend to keep fooling her. So she was getting her dividend every yeah, year. Yeah, every year. And thought it was all fine. And thought because they're paying the dividend. They, yeah, they and they're must raising have the dividend, surplus money they to must pay have the sur- dividend. To pay the dividend. You're on it. That's some heinous ass behavior right there. I'm telling you. I, I mean, hate frankly, that. I would think that too. I mean, that's if I like, didn't, you know, try to dig into it at all, you think, all right, that's good enough for me. That's a sign. And why would GM do that? To, to keep up that freaking friction. fool you. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and you can hear their rationale going on in their heads, right? They got their country club mentality, which is we'll work our way out we'll of get this. It it's back. temporary. That's the Ponzi scheme. Exactly. Motto. They Ponzi scheme themselves into bankruptcy. And they took her portion of her money down with her. And they don't know. Hopefully she was had enough there that she could continue to live in that assisted living home, which cost four thousand a month or something. You know? But she didn't know. And so I want you guys to know. I want you guys to be able to Look at investments that people are doing for you and know whether something's changed, whether the story's changed. And all you got to do is look at these four numbers and they'll take care of you. You know, it's a really good point. We talk a lot about the positive stuff with this. We should talk about the negative stuff, too. If you yeah. don't know, a lot of bad stuff can happen and people can take advantage of you. Well, this fourth number is where you can see the bad stuff first. Okay, what's this the is number? the canary in the coal mine. The fourth number is called operating cash flow. Or sometimes you'll see it written cash flow from operations. Same thing, basically. And in this number, what they do is they take the net income and then they add back in um, all the stuff where you didn't actually spend the money. Right? What does that mean? Well, like if you had expenses that you took in in your income statement, but you didn't actually pay them. Oh, okay. Um, well, that money, didn't ever, that money never left. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put it back in. Okay. And they add in and out. Like, they, they take out the money that you paid, but it didn't show up in your income statement. And they add those all up, add and subtract, a, a laundry list of things, 15, 20 things. And they get down to the bottom, and what it says is operating cash flow. And that operating cash flow is the money that went into the bank from your operations. That will match your bank balance from operations. Got it. So we were talking about this fiction of the earnings per share, and this kind of this corrects that it. fiction yeah. in a way. Okay. So this is the operating cash flow growth rate, right? Growth rate that we're looking for. Okay. So we got operating cash flow, we got the cash coming in, and then year by year, we hope that it grows. And operating cash flow is pretty consistent. It grows right along pretty good. Where do you uh, with find, a company that's growing its earnings? Where do you find that. that number in the financial statements? That's on the cash flow um, statement, and it's the cash flow statement is in thirds, and the first third is the operating cash flow portion of the cash flow statement. The first, it's the upper third of it, 
and then the next two sections are, are cash from uh, financing and cash from, um, I don't know, cash, I forget what it is, cash from something else. So you, the, okay, the so key you look one is operations. Okay, so you look the first third of the cash flow statement. Yep, yep, yep. First third of the cash flow statement. And that's the key one to know how the business is doing in terms of cash flow. And if you've got great cash flow, you're not going broke. You, have, you can have no earnings. You can have negative earnings and be ripping it. Cash. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And um, there are a lot of companies that actually, because of general accepted accounting principles, have negative earnings, but a lot of cash, right? And among those are real estate companies hmm. because they have such high depreciation that they take advantage of to lower their tax hmm. bill. They like to get, they don't have negative earnings per se, but you can see them get down there. Their earnings get down to just almost nothing. But then you go over to the cash flow statement, and it's just pouring cash, hmm. and you're getting these big dividends. So, with so that's the, where knowing about the industry really comes into play. That's where knowing about the industry comes into play, and that's why you have to be capable of understanding. Yeah, that's number one. Oh, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie's so awesome. wise. So let's wrap this up with the numbers. These four growth numbers are so critical because they give us a picture um, that's very difficult for accountants to manipulate completely without us seeing them doing it. But it's key to understand that it's a picture out the back window of the car. Mm -hmm. It's not a picture of the future. It's not a crystal ball. It's very, very key to know that you can only go so far by just looking at what's happened. You have to be capable of understanding the business and the industry it's in in order to know uh, something about where it's going in the future and to make a reasonable projection of the future because ultimately that's about where we're going to figure out the value of the business. Mm-hmm. So, okay. what we're going to talk about next are three more numbers. What? Mm-hmm. I thought we were done. No. Oh my gosh! Not done. In fact, one of the next numbers. I, it's almost hard to say which of these is more important. These three, but in a way of speaking, and I'll come back to that next time. These three numbers are more important than those four numbers. Are there any more numbers after these three? <laughs> There's maybe a couple more. But these seven, four growth numbers, and these three numbers that help us understand the management team. Oh, okay. I can, I can get behind so that. So we'll go over to the managers here. Okay. And it's very different. Looking at managers, looking at the CEO, is very subjective. Do I like this guy? I think Super he's honest. Do I like her? Does she know what she's doing? Where am I getting this information about them? Yeah. Yeah. Like Ginny Rometty over at IBM, right? She's smashed the glass ceiling and is, you know, he, it's, I mean, it's IBM and she's running it. And she's come into IBM as a CEO, like most of the CEOs in IBM out of the sales group. And she is being criticized every which way for not turning the ship. And yet Warren Buffett says that she's doing a brilliant job. Hmm. Brilliant job. And I have been very critical of her because the first time I, I watched her speak, I thought, what, is she smoking something? It's like I can't make sense out of what this woman is saying about this company. Right? But she has her own way of doing it. And that it shouldn't... It didn't really reflect really who she is and how capable she is in her effort to try to portray a very, very complex company in just a few sentences. Hmm. Right? It didn't come out all that great. She sort of had Jenny speak coming okay. at me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? But 
it turns out she really is doing a magnificent job, I think, and Buffett thinks so. And um, and so you sort of are looking at this subjectively. You got all these people that think she, maybe she's not doing a good job. People call for her to be replaced. And then you got Buffett saying she's really good. Very subjective. But there are numbers we can look at that don't lie. Okay, let's talk about those next time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> time to go play. See ya. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to Invested, the rule number one podcast. If you like us, please subscribe, please, and leave a review for us on iTunes. Uh, by the way, you can get our notes and links for this podcast and post comments about this show and uh, also get more information about how to invest on your own by going to investedpodcast.com. Um, by the way, everything, this is important, everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and it isn't to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for entertainment and education only. I, I got to tell you, I really hope you enjoyed it. And I know Danielle does too. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.